นโมทัสสะบุคคลทัวรหัตัวสมาสัมพุทธสานโมทัสสะบุคคลทัวรหัตัวสมาสัมพุทธสานโมทัสสะบุคคลทัวรหัตัวสมาสัมพุทธสาพุทังธรรมังสังขังนามสังอ่าวิสัยทัศน์ 
and indeed living with the teachers that I lived with, particularly with living with Ajahn Chah, uh, he would talk about this a lot. This was this was a tool in the spiritual toolkit that he really emphasised. Uh, yes, he of course talked about samadhi meditation and concentration, and quite clearly was very able in that. But he didn't overemphasise it. Uh, he at least what I went away with was the impression that he wanted us to learn to feel confident in using this mind that we have to solve our own problems. Making the mind peaceful and tranquil, yes, that's, that's one aspect of it. But also learning to ask our own questions at the right time in the right way was also very, very important to so this is a tool, a skill that uh, is wise to develop. And it's not something that necessarily depends upon being in some sort of rarefied atmosphere. To cultivate refined states of concentration meditation is probably the case that for most people they, they would need to be on retreat or in some sanctuary or other where they're not going to get disturbed. And if that works for them and that's serving their spiritual needs, well then that's fine. But for many of us, um, struggling to concentrate the mind, to make the mind peaceful, and doesn't work to nourish the inner longings of the heart. Hmm. We might set out hoping that it will, and we may have some limited experience in, in the pleasure of some relative states of, of tranquility, but it's been my experience and my observation of many other people that a commitment to always hammering away at concentration exercises, hoping that this is going to somehow resolve all of our difficulties, uh, can in fact make our life much more difficult. It doesn't resolve the difficulties, it makes creates difficulties. And, and you can see... And, meditation practice, you're sitting there concentrating on your meditation object and the things that disturb you become enemies. You know, somebody's moving and say, why don't they stop moving? Or somebody's breathing too heavily, why don't they stop breathing too heavily? And I don't like that sound, I don't like that sensation in my knees, I don't like that. All of these things irritate my meditation. Well, I would, uh, I would question that if if meditation can be so easily disturbed, then is it such a precious, valuable thing anyway? No, I would suggest it's not. Uh, there are other ways of developing the mind, and certainly I, I'm very indebted to, to Ajahn Chah for the encouragement to learn to skillfully ask the right questions at the right time and the right way. I was travelling on the train back from London a few days ago and a very, very nice, uh, very pleasant elderly lady uh, approached me uh, asking if I was a Buddhist and I said, yes, I was. And, and she, she wanted to ask some questions and, and uh, it, was, it was very easy to, to, um, to sit down and talk with her. Uh, sometimes I find going on the train to London is a real treat because nobody talks to me. It's a, it's really a pleasure just to sit there and drink tea and watch the countryside go by and not be interrupted by anybody. But this interruption was a very pleasant one. It was a very lovely conversation we had. And one of her questions was, well, her first main question was, uh, 
what was it that drew you to Buddhism? And so I stopped and thought about that for a while and and then I said, well, there's two things. One was the invitation to ask questions. And that's definitely true. I can think that after the the belief system that I was conditioned to have confidence in wasn't working, this invitation to say, yes, your questions are welcome. That was very appealing. And secondly was the skillful instruction that one's given. In other words, you're told what to do. Again, in the in the um, system, the spiritual tradition that I was I was conditioned to have confidence in, uh, one was just taught to believe. So, and belief, faith, was the goal. At least that's how it was presented to me. Whereas in Buddhism. Yes, we do have faith. Yes, we do have confidence. Yes, we are asked to trust. But that's the vehicle. That's not the goal. In sometimes fundamentalist organizations, it's grasping at the belief itself is the goal. That's all you have to do. And there are, in my experience, some fundamentalist Buddhists. Or we can have a fundamentalist attitude towards our meditation. We, we, can, we can grasp exclusively to the belief that this hammering away at this concentration exercise and trying to make my mind peaceful is going to solve all my problems. You know, that's, but that's, that's overly simplistic. You know, like to quote Ajahn Chah, you know, our, our, our spiritual inquiry is that it's like untangling your knot. If you've got a knot, like with a, a piece of rope and it's all tangled up and you, you pull it a bit this way and you've got to feel, does that make it tight or does that make it looser? So oh, that makes it tight. Okay, we don't do that. So you pull it this way, and 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 it's a feeling inquiry, is the spirit of the spiritual life, rather than merely a concentration exercise. So simply being taught, "Ask and ye shall be given; seek and ye shall find." That may well be a good injunction, but in my experience, it's helpful if we're taught how to ask. Telling somebody to ask and you should be given, that's one thing. But if you don't know how to ask, if you don't know how to inquire, then maybe maybe we're not going to get the result we're looking for. I, I, I just on a, on a Monday and everyday situation, I know people come to me and they um, they ask me, some question, you know, like maybe it's a bunch of students and somebody asks me some question from their head, you know, there's just some sort of split-off, abstract, intellectual question. I, I just want to start yawning, you know. I just, I'm just not interested. I don't have any energy. You know, leave me alone. Let me drink my tea and <laughs> look out the window. Whereas if, as with this lady, this is, a, this is a real question. This woman was really interested. And this was an embodied, this was a heartful question. And so we can learn that in our own everyday experience. Well, likewise, when we internalize this and and we can consider how do we we ourselves ask questions? If we get the feeling for investigation of Dhamma, if we can recognize there is this 
that is worth developing, then we need to consider how do we exercise it, how do we exercise using it. You know, just, just asking is not enough. We need to also learn how to ask. And we learn to need to learn how to ask our own questions. Yeah. There's all sorts of questions around you. you. In spiritual circles, you can be taught to, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Or you could be asking that question and just driving yourself nuts and doing yourself no good at all. Or who am I? You could be asking that question. It may be doing you no good. It might be doing a lot of good. How do we know whether it's our question or not? Well, I would would, uh, recommend hearing one of the most basic Buddhist encouragement that whatever we do in our spiritual practice, whether it's developing, looking at our faith, whether it's looking at energy, uh, concentration, wisdom, always there's the emphasis on the encouragement on mindfulness, sati. So if we ask our question, if we ask our question with, with awareness, with mindfulness, with embodied awareness, not just from the head, not just from the head, but from the whole body mind. And this is so this is very basic in our spiritual training that you can pick up a meditation technique and counting the breathing, repeating a mantra or concentrating on a candle flame or something and, and just exercising our overdeveloped faculty of willfulness. Yeah. But we're missing out on all sorts of other good things. You know, this, this wonderful mind that we've, we're equipped with, we're all well-educated. And, and surely it would be a good thing if we could use this, this uh, dexterous, agile thinking capacity we have in a skillful way that takes us into what the Buddha referred to as skillful contemplation. So, uh, considering where this comes in the in the classic Buddhist teachings, some of you uh, will probably be familiar with the, the, what the Buddha called referred to as the seven factors of enlightenment, um, the bojanga. You, those of you that spend time down the Kusala House there, you see Bojunga Garden and you see all the seven factors of enlightenment listed there. And the, the first one is Sati. The second one is Dhammavichya, then Virya, Pitti, and so on. But the first one is Sati. If Dhammavichya, or investigation of Dhamma, is without Sati, I think there's a sequence in those, those, those things. It's not necessarily this one, this one, this one, this one, exclusively. But I would suggest that there probably is a value in considering, yeah, first there needs to be sati, then there's investigation, and then there's virya, energy, and then there's pitti, and then there's pasati, and the, these things, and then it ends up with equanimity, which, of course, as we, we all know, is a, a very lofty virtue and very difficult to develop when it's true, equanimity. And so bearing this in mind when we are exercising tamawicha, investigating, uh, exercising investigation or asking questions, just to check to see what sort of quality of sati have we got. How are we asking our questions? Is it coming, is it coming with a whole body-mind awareness? Yeah. Like, yeah. can find feeling frustrated in practice and feel like you're not getting anywhere. And instead of just reverting to the familiar old meditation technique and trying to make put more effort into it, maybe we just pull back 
and ask the question, why am I suffering? Well, if we ask that question with the whole body-mind and feel in the body, where is the suffering? Where is the suffering? If we're split off, we're just up in this little kind of smart aleck up here in the attic playing with his computer, then then maybe we don't have access to all the information. But if we come down into the body and we feel this, feel the suffering, where is the suffering? I've been meditating all this time and I've been putting in my hours on the cushion and I'm keeping my precepts and I don't go drinking with my friends and I haven't been smoking weed for several weeks now and... And, you know, why have I still not gotten enlightened? I still get into bad moods. And, you know, well, just, you know, open up, relax. And you know. What's really important right now, if we're so caught up in trying to become peaceful, then maybe we, you know, maybe we're missing. I would suggest we are missing a valuable, uh, using this valuable tool we've got. We've got this toolkit. We need to use all these tools. Dhammavicca, investigation, asking the right questions in the right way is one of them. Just pull back and ask the question, why am I suffering? Get interested. Interest. Sati, mindfulness, awareness, and interest really work together, in my experience. They're great partners, great friends. If there's sati, if there's mindfulness, there's awareness, and the situation here I am, I'm definitely not contented. I'm disappointed with my spiritual life. I'm disappointed with whatever, and feeling frustrated. And they say, "Well, can we get interested in that?" And then the interest increases the reflective ability of the mind, and these things go together. Again, uh, thinking back to the past and. In another important moment in my my uh, early life, where the first time that I can remember, or at least one time where it was very significant, I, my mind thought, like, "This is an ability we have as human beings to turn around and and look at what's going on inside, even if you're not just an evangelical fundamentalist of religious persuasion." You can be of some sort of other persuasion. It's just always looking outside, always following the activity of the mind, trying to get what you want, believing that when you get what you want, you're going to be happy. Yeah. But over and over again, the Buddha said, no, restraint, wise restraint is the way. And reflective awareness, reflective awareness means turn the light of awareness inwards and ask questions. So the story that I was referring to was when I was, I was actually living in Sydney in Australia and I was working in Darling Harbour Railway Station, not a very um, right livelihood occupation. I was loading beer kegs at the railway station many years ago. And anyway, a friend I had at the time, a Canadian guy, he had a job driving a truck. And one day we were there in the cab together and he was really upset about something. And, it was really... and then he stopped and he said, oh, right, he said, that's it. Yeah. He'd basically he'd been using a tool that had broken on him or it wasn't working. And he stopped and he suddenly realised, oh, that's why I'm upset. I always get upset because when a tool that I'm using doesn't work or lets me down, I get upset. And I said, I don't know anybody who, who works like that. Here's somebody who is actually reflecting. He's stopping, he's stopping this endless momentum of always following activity. He's stopping 
and reflecting back. So, oh yeah, I get angry when that happens. And it was only a small thing, but I'm very indebted to that Canadian friend for that little example. And of course, if you read the Buddha's teachings or, or you read, for that matter, you read Ajahn Chah's teachings, there are many wonderful ex- examples of, of where he's exercising this reflective awareness. Yes, of course, when we want to con- uh, develop concentration meditation, we engage with the desire to make the mind peace and we follow it and we make the effort accordingly. But that's only part of the picture. Yeah. There's also the need to sometimes disengage from that and to come back and, 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 and ask our own really important question in the body, the whole body and mind, like that. There's a one talk which I was listening to of Ajahn Chah's translated and, and, and written in the book, uh, The Collective Teachings of Ajahn Chah. And um, the talk is called In the Dead of the Night. A very inspiring teaching of where Ajahn Chah decided, well, he was, he was in a situation where he was so completely confronted by fear. He, he was sleeping in a charnel ground at the time because uh, Thais are, are, are petrified of ghosts. They grow up being told all sorts of stories about ghosts. And, and uh, here he was, a, a mature man, but he was really scared of ghosts. And so he said, I've got to overcome this fear. So he went off to sleep in, uh, in a forest where they'd take the bodies to burn. And uh, they brought along a body that night and burnt it right in front of him. He would be sitting there and he, under his mosquito net. And he was petrified. And, and he relates the experience of uh, sitting up all night he didn't sleep that night. He was just sitting. He was so scared. And, but he wasn't just concentrating on his breathing. He was asking. He had this inner dialogue going. And he got to this point where he said, there was so much fear, he said, it's like a cup when a cup is totally full. There's no more room uh, for any more water to go into. Well, for my mind, it was so totally full of fear, there was no more room, so it started bubbling out. And this question arose in his mind, what am I so afraid of? He asked his question, what am I so afraid of? This precious question, this precious question, what am I so afraid of? And because he was so embodied and because his mind was so one-pointed, the question went really deep and then the answer came up and said, you're afraid of death. Oh, oh, that's what I'm afraid of. And then the question came, what is this thing, death? Where is this thing, death? And then the answer came and said, this death is within you. This death is within you. And then the contemplation proceeded and said, well, if this death is within you, where can you go to escape it? You can't. You run away if it's within you. You're going to die anyway. There's no way, no place you can go to escape death. And with that insight, he said, where there was fear, non-fear arose. And he overcame fear and a tremendously powerful experience for him. And we're fortunate that he related it, and I recommend anybody who's interested in, in taking their practice in this direction, they look up that talk and, and read it. It's a, a wonderful example of how to, how to feel for your own question at the right time in the right way. This is not a greedy, oh, I've got to overcome this obstruction so I can get more peaceful. Yeah. You've given up all that trying to become peaceful. You, you know. If 
real peace is going to happen, it'll be because all these doubts and fears have disappeared. And how are we going to how are we going to get beyond these doubts and fears? Well, sometimes we need to turn to them, look at them, feel them. Yeah. I can remember my first year as a monk, I was living with Ajahn Tate, I was just sometimes I feel so frustrated, so frustrated, so fed up. Couldn't speak the language, couldn't stand the climate, won't talk about the food, very lonely and and there was this was my cootie was on on the bank of the Mekong River and the Russian boats were going up and down. They'd just taken over Laos and there was a war going on just, you know, a few metres away. And I was a really miserable so-and-so. And, but sometimes when I was walking meditation, just pacing up and down, I remember right still, I remember just asking myself, what do you want? I want... It's not, that the, it's not that the wanting disappeared, but by asking the question, you become one with the energy. Mm. If we're so busy trying to become peaceful, I want 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 this, I want that. We're just caught up in the energy all the time. We're, we're running away from ourselves. But if we can use the question skillfully and reverse that attention and say, say what is the suffering? Suffering is, suffering is I, I want, I want. What do you want? I want... I still want it, but there's a different relationship to it. So in the beginning, this uh, exercise of of exercising this contemplative capacity we have, it may well start as a very sort of coarse level of uh, like talking to ourselves, contemplating things verbally. There's... There's another uh, lovely talk in that collected teachings of Ajahn Chah, and it's called "What Is Contemplation?" And the, uh, there's a group of of young monks sitting around with Ajahn Chah at uh, Wat Gornok, a little small branch monastery near Wat Bapong, and uh, Ajahn Jakro was there, and Ajahn uh, Japanese monk Oesako, and and they're all asking Ajahn Chah these questions about what do you mean by contemplation? You know, this do you mean we've got to stop and think about the 32 parts of the body and do we think about this and do we think about that? And Ajahn Chah explains, says, yeah, in the beginning, it is a kind of coarse thinking. This Thai expression, keep yap yap. It means a kind of coarse level of thinking. Yeah, actually just like linear logical thinking. Yeah, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. But then he says, but then it moves on to keep nai kwam sangup, which means... It's thinking in silence or stillness. So in the beginning, yes, we use it's like the level of pariyati dhamma, the level of, of study, the level of educating the mind to think in a certain way, like we think about impermanence, we think about unsatisfactoriness, we think about not-self, we think about all these things, we read about them, we study them, we listen to them. And it's like training the, the, the mental investigation process in a certain way. And then, as we continue with that practice and we, the level of intensity in life uh, life can bring us sometimes with its frustration or desire or disappointment or sadness or loss. We've already prepared ourselves, we've already equipped our mind with skillful investigation. Now it's a great pity if at that point of, of intense frustration the only tool we've got and the only tool we know how to use is concentration meditation. 
And we just got to go, well, I've got to meditate hard and make myself peaceful. Well, then, then we just create enemies. Our frustration's an enemy. Frustration's not an enemy. Frustration's just energy. Why do we have to make an enemy out of the feeling of frustration? Why do we have to make an enemy out of disappointment? Why do we have to make an enemy out of somebody moving in the Dhamma Hall? All of these things are actually just so. So if we can, if we're dexterous enough, agile enough, we can, instead of picking up the tool of concentration meditation, we can engage the tool of skillful contemplation. And we're feeling disappointment or we're feeling sadness. We we don't have to make that into an enemy. We can embrace that. We can engage that. We We can bring that energy into our practice as well. And in that particular talk, uh, what is contemplation with these young monks talking to Ajahn Chah? Uh, he, he talks about how you can be busy uh, always watching the arising and ceasing of everything all the time. Uh, you know, sensations arising and ceasing, thoughts arising and ceasing, feelings arising and ceasing, everything arising and ceasing. You can be busy watching all these things arising and ceasing. But then he, then he says, he asks this question, he says, he says but what... And this is if you're interested, if you're really interested, you ask this question, in what is all this arising and ceasing taking place? So I hope this evening these hints of contemplation will be of some support in your meditation. And thank you very much for your attention.